Hello, Sat Stackers. It is a windy evening out there here in the space coast of Florida. I would say the sunny space coast of Florida. And it is sunny because it's not like we have a tropical storm or anything like that brewing. Uh, I got a gale warning alert on my weather app on my phone yesterday, and I thought that was kind of strange. I looked at the weather forecast and it said it was going to be windy the next couple days. And boy, has it been windy because my patio umbrella did its best impression of Mary Poppins earlier this afternoon. And that's despite the fact it was folded up and tied up properly secured. So it is howling out there. If you hear that interfere, uh, it's gusting pretty good. The studio is reasonably quiet. I had that oak tree trimmed up that used to bang into the roof every time we got a gale warning. Uh, but we also had the power go out once or twice. That's how windy it is here, plebs. Uh, we had the power flicker a couple of times this afternoon. So I'm recording on my laptop and the soundboard I'm using is battery powered. And it's also plugged into my laptop as well so it can derive power from that so as long as the power doesn't go out for uh, an extended period of time i can keep rolling although i would be doing it in the dark because the studio lights are not on a battery backup but nonetheless let's get into it this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice all views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. I want to thank Adam Meister for getting that song stuck on my head. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But first things first. Hello, plebs, and welcome to the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. As usual, I am Chris, and today is Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. And that means, of course, it is DCA Wednesday. I know we just met yesterday for our Makeup DCA Wednesday slash Halloween episode, but here we are, one day later, it's Wednesday again, so it's time to get that stack on. Before we do, though, let's go over a few things. First of all, as we mentioned yesterday, the definitive answer to whether or not October would live up to its name has officially been answered as of yesterday's episode. There were still a few hours left in October for everything to come crashing back down. That did not happen, and Bitcoin soared more than 25% in value, according to U.S. dollar terms anyway, during the month of October ending at approximately $34,661, depending on where your midnight is, whether you use universal coordinated time or whether you use East Coast Standard Time, which is where I am. But regardless of where you are in the world, there is no denying that Bitcoin had a heck of a rally in October, a rally not necessarily matched by the stock markets. So uh, that uncoupling is potentially in play, or at least been cemented as in play. If you remember, one of the things that people have always poo-pooed about Bitcoin when they try and fud it is that uh, you know that it's just been it's just been people pouring money into any random investment because of all the free money out there, because of all the stimulus checks, and because people were being risky with their money, cavalier with their money. Uh, that Bitcoin was benefiting from that. And they would point out the correlation that, the, you know, the, the stock market was going up, as you remember, during the whole GameStop thing, when they uh, when 
uh, Dave Portnoy and everybody was saying stocks only go up. At the time, of course, Bitcoin was up and to the right, as it always has been if you zoom out. So they were making the comparison that, that Bitcoin was just correlated to every other investment. And I think we are starting to see the mainstream media finally recognize that is not the case when it comes to Bitcoin. And speaking of Bitcoin's price, speaking of October, speaking of October, speaking of Bitcoin's closing for the month, if Bitcoin can close, of course, it doesn't really close. Plan B, infamous for his stock-to-flow model, posted the official close tweet with his, uh, his dot plot, his stock-to-flow model with his color-coordinated dots uh, showing Bitcoin price as in relationship to the halving or months out to the halving and posting that October closing price, 34661 dot, 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 halving in six months and showing that according to his plot, we're in the, the blue dots and the blue dots usually precede the green dots. Uh, or I guess they proceed the uh, red dots, and that's the the uh, beginning of the bull run as we as we get into the having uh, whether or not you believe in stock to flow, whether you not you believe in any TA or any crystal ball type predictions. Uh, one thing is undeniable, and that is that for the entire history of Bitcoin, at least up into this point, that having has triggered a bull run every time. And we've been having these four-year cycles, these 210,000 block cycles. Um, and, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. You don't have to be an economist. It doesn't matter what school of economics you studied, whether you're a communist, Chicago school, kind of the same thing, uh, uh, Keynesian or an Austrian. It's hard to deny that when goods are more scarce, they get more valuable if they're in demand anyway. And so we have two factors in play. We have Bitcoin's increasing adoption, which increases demand. And we have its increased scarcity. And of course, you know, new Bitcoin is being issued every time a block is found all the way until 2140 when no, no more Bitcoin is issued at all. But Bitcoin available for people to purchase is getting more and more scarce because the, the statistics show, and uh, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out, most Bitcoin is being held by plebs, held by long-term hodlers. The vast majority of Bitcoin available to purchase is Bitcoin that's being sold by commercial miners on exchanges every four years, every 210,000 blocks, uh, that supply gets cut in half. So the amount of Bitcoin that miners receive for mining the next block is halved, and therefore the amount of Bitcoin they have to sell to pay their bills, you know, because commercial mining companies are companies, they, unless they're just in, totally infused with cash to, to blow they have to, in many cases, or most cases, sell some of that Bitcoin to pay for things like the electricity that it costs to mine the Bitcoin, or rent, you know, mortgage payment, uh, employment staff for the engineers and the maintenance technicians that got to keep those miners running. So uh, that's where most of the supply of Bitcoin that's for sale comes from. And uh, that's about ready to get cut in half in less than six months. So with less than six months from the halving, uh, it's time to see if November remains as bullish or if we maybe we get a little of a pullback. It's certainly looking like it's going to be an interesting Thanksgiving dinner for us plebs, regardless. Uh, Thanksgiving, depending on whether it's a bull market or a bear market, can be an interesting time for Bitcoiners, especially if you've tried to orange pill family members and those family members have mocked you or resisted you or even followed your advice just in time for a, you know the all-time high to hit and then the 80% pullback, and then they blame you uh, for convincing them to, to waste their money, hopefully Hopefully they held it and uh, and and long enough, or they will be holding it long enough to uh, to see that it was not a waste. Um, but either way, I know there's a lot of us that are looking forward to strutting to that Thanksgiving table in November later this month, uh, because 
If you've been into Bitcoin for more than one cycle, this will be our second I told you so. All right, as I mentioned, today is Wednesday, November 1st. That does make it DCA Wednesday. But before we grow that stack of Satoshis, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of recording, we are at a block height of 814,897. And Bitcoin is clocking in at a US dollar price of $35,460. That is up more than, or almost, that's up, well, it's up $800, more than $800, almost $1,000 over where we stacked last Wednesday, October 25th, and up significantly since last night when we did our makeup episode, even though, uh, you know, that the, I guess the Bitcoin price was right about the same because we kind of, we went all the way up to 35,000 and then I think 35,100 had been the previous high. Then it retraced a little bit, dropped into the 33s for a while, but basically had been bobbing along in the mid 34,000 range. Uh, for the last week. Uh, that corresponds to a rate of 2,820 sats per dollar. And that has got me. That's the flip side of this coin. Seeing your the, the US dollar value of your stack going up, of course, brings joy and happiness. But seeing the number of sats per dollar we're going to get, the, the fewer sats we're going to be able to add to our stack this week uh, is a little disheartening because like most of you, I feel like I don't have enough sats yet. I've set several stacking goals since I've been since I've been a Bitcoiner and I've hit them. I've hit my first stacking goal, I hit my second stacking goal, I hit my third stacking goal. And now I kind of have a fourth stacking goal where um I look at everything that I've stacked in the first three goals as as Bitcoin I never intend to touch under any circumstances. You know, most people say it's okay to to sell off or to spend a little bit of your Bitcoin for things that are going to improve your life, medical bills, a new house, college tuition, college tuition for your kids, whatever that may be. But my first couple stacking goals, I wanted to accumulate a specific amount of Bitcoin that I will never touch, that, that I can use to guarantee uh, financial stability for generations to come. I finally got to the point now where I've got a separate hardware wallet, a separate cold card set up that I'm stacking into. That is, that's the money that I, the money, that's the Bitcoin that I want to set aside to do something to improve my life one day. I don't really need it at the moment. You know, I'm not retired. Well, I'm semi-retired. Uh, that's a long story. Maybe we'll get into that one day. Um, I'm not necessarily retired. The family isn't retired. Let's put it that way. We have a nice house. We live on the beach in Florida. I've got a brand new car. Um, I, didn't, I didn't spend sats on that. That was actually a birthday present, believe it or not. So that was a hell of a birthday present. Otherwise, you could tease me for being short stats, short sats. Uh, because before that, I was driving a 2001 Jeep Grand Cherokee, uh, which was actually costing me several hundred dollars a month just to keep it on the road. So there's some pros and cons between driving the old clunker to save money and having a car payment. But fortunately, I have neither now. So uh, without doxing any further information on that, uh, I have most of what I need right now. I do like to go on vacation from time to time. It's kind of weird because people spend their whole year saving up just enough money to spend a week or two where I live. And so you think, you know, where are you going to go on vacation? You're going to go to the beach, somebody else's beach. And usually what we do is we just road trip down to Key West or something because it's it's about a seven hour drive to Key West. And it's not it's not that it's that far. It takes the first three hours just to get to Miami or uh, three and a half hours, about four hours to get to Key Largo. And then you're kind of in the Keys. Although if you've ever made that drive, it doesn't really feel like you're in the Keys in Key Largo. It doesn't really look like the stereotypical keys until you're out in a marathon. And then if you've ever seen the movie True Lies, where um, 
the terrorists have the the van and they're going across the keys and they call the Marine Corps Harriers in to take out the bridge to stop them from getting away. And they, they quote unquote blow up the bridge. That is seven mile bridge uh, between Marathon and uh, Duck Key. I'm getting my keys messed up, but it's the longest bridge. They call it seven mile bridge because it's seven miles of open water, basically. And the area they quote unquote blew up for starters, uh, that's in the old bridge, the original bridge that they built over the railroad from the 1900s that they got destroyed in a hurricane. They built the original overseas highway over that. And then in the 90s, basically, they completed a new overseas highway that parallels it. And all traffic's on the new road. Uh, in the movie, the, they've got traffic going opposite directions. And then the terrorists are going down the old road. And where they blow it up, that's all CGI. That The bridge is missing there. They have a cut so that boats can pass through there because, you know, the overseas highway is 140 something miles long and it'd be a bummer to have to sail 140 miles out of your way just to cross through the bridge the new bridge is big enough that boats can get under it and maybe you can see that and you see the movie you see one lane has a big huge arc anyway if you look really close in that scene in the movie you can tell that 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 they cgi'd the damage there because you can see the fenders uh where the where the you know the where the boats come through the channel the channel comes through the bridge there but i digress my point being is um it's kind of neat to go somewhere on vacation, even if you already live in a beach town. And then uh, we, uh, other than that, sometimes I like to go to the mountains. I have family out West. If you've been following me, you know, I, we did several episodes from New Mexico and the mountains near Albuquerque, Santa Fe and Los Alamos. But I digress. That's uh that gets back to, that gets back to whether or not we're short sats and whether, whether we have enough to do. And I'm, uh, and my point being that uh, I don't intend, I don't, I don't, I don't feel the need to drain my stack to do some big dream vacation or do any other big expenses at this moment, or at least I hadn't felt like spending any of my sats in the future on myself. Um, but I've reached those, I reached the point now where I'm, I'm, I'm stacking and I'm stacking with an eye that maybe one day I'll do something nice for myself with those sats. And therefore it's a bummer to see that we're only going to get 2,820 sats for every dollar we convert into Bitcoin today. I mean, it was certainly a lot nicer back in, uh, what was in, it's all the way back to almost a year ago. I think it was March when we were in the 4,000 sats per dollar range. I'm looking back through my notes. March 1st, we got 4,314 sats per dollar when Bitcoin was only $23,545. And of course, when Bitcoin was in the teens, we stacked one time, we stacked for a rate of 5,942 sats per dollar. And unfortunately, those days are gone. Uh, you know, if we look back to the 2019 cycle, we did have a really big black swan right before the halving. And that's when we set our cycle low because, you know, something happened and the government forced all the businesses to close and everyone to stay home and everything tanked. The market tanked, Bitcoin tanked. And that's when we saw our, our low where Bitcoin hit $3,000 per coin. And maybe something like that could happen between now and the halving. And if we do... I'm going to be singing hallelujah because I want to stack more sets. And of course, it's going to recover. Bitcoin always recovers. Bitcoin, uh, you know, if, if you're here, you believe in Bitcoin for the long term. And so if something does temporarily force Bitcoin to retrace in value, uh, I view that as a good thing. Boy, I got off on a heck of a tangent. The current block height puts us 25,103 blocks away from the halving. It's still looking like that's going to happen on April 21st of 2024, but that is less than six months away now. TikTok next block, that is coming. I mean, Halloween's over, right? Thanksgiving's coming up. Before you know it, it's going to be Christmas, New Year's, boom, the having, And then we're going to be talking about the epic bull run and, and, you know, 
and whatever retracement comes after that, unless we end up with, you know, hyper Bitcoinization, the super cycle. I'm a firm believer that uh, until we really, really get mass adoption, until we really, really, really see hyper Bitcoinization, and I'm not talking just a couple of companies joining MicroStrategy or one or two more countries, small countries adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. I'm talking about multiple countries, the majority of Fortune 500 companies, you know, you know, when they start storing Bitcoin on their balance sheet or pensions start holding Bitcoin balance sheet regularly, then maybe we can start talking about breaking away from the four-year cycle. But until then, uh, watching Bitcoin retrace is a good thing. Bitcoin's current U.S. dollar value gives it a market capitalization of $692.5 billion. I'm scrolling through my notes and I can't see anything in the notes that I have where we were anywhere near $692 billion. Uh, my, my notes are trimmed, they're pruned, they're annotated. They only go back, they only go back about a year um, because they're my show notes, not my, not my permanent records. Obviously, Bitcoin had a market capitalization of more than $1 trillion on more than one occasion during the previous bull run. And we're getting a lot closer to that happening again. I personally believe $1 trillion market cap is a magic number. And I know certain people don't like the concept of market cap because it's kind of a made up statistic as we've spoken about numerous times. But plebs, normies worship things like market cap and they, and they believe in superstitious things like magic numbers. It's been multiple episodes since I quoted that movie, The Right Stuff, where the, the two people are sitting in Poncho's Happy, Poncho, Happy, Poncho's Happy Bottom Riding Club at Edwards Air Force Base after Scott Crossfield beats uh, Chuck Yeager's Mach 1 record by, by breaking Mach 2. And they're saying something along the lines of, well, Yeager will just go back up and set a new record. And he says, well, yeah, but Mach 2 was the magic number. Uh, and he goes on a fairly, fairly lengthy spiel, but basically saying that people like a nice round number. Mach 2, in that case, was the magic number. And, and then the public will lose interest until whatever the next magic number comes along. And I firmly believe that next magic number, at least as far as the media is going to be concerned, is $1 trillion market cap. They're already starting to take notice on MSNBC, et cetera, that Bitcoin is not dead and that it's coming back. You know, it's, it's starting to get claw its way back to its all-time high. But one of two things is going to be that magic number. I think the first thing is going to be when it hits the $1 trillion market cap. It will do that before we, before we set a new all-time high. And when it does, people are going to start looking at it. And they're going to start saying this is a real asset again as far as the mainstream financial networks are concerned. Uh, and then, of course, when Bitcoin sets a new all-time high, as it always has, as Adam Meister, the tech vault, always says, Bitcoin always returns to its all-time high. Uh, when it does, that'll probably be the magic number for the normies, the ones that don't watch MSNBC, that don't read the Wall Street Journal, that, you know, that, uh, that aren't really going to start hearing about Bitcoin again until, until it sets a new all-time high. And then you're in that situation where, the, where you know, your Uber driver is giving a stock tip, stock, stock tip advice or talking about which coins he's invested in. And that's probably when we've reached the point of exuberance. And, you know, we're probably looking for another retracement. But who knows when or where that's going to be. Obviously, it's going to be sometime, assuming it's going to be sometime after the halving, six months to a year after the halving, before we even retake the previous all-time high, maybe a year to 18 months after the halving, we set a new all-time high. And then if history repeats, you know, we're, we're in for another Bitcoin winner. Um, but that Bitcoin winner, if you've already been stacking with us, have you been stacking? If this is going to be your 119th stack, just like us, or even longer, um, that crypto winner is going to be 
uh, it's going to be more amusing to you because it's kind of like the people that were the people that bought in the fifty and sixty thousand dollar range for the first time were just dying when Bitcoin went back down to sixteen thousand, and the people that bought at one thousand were like, "You ain't seen nothing." You know, we watched Bitcoin go up to twenty, or the people that bought it during the two thousand seventeen bull run when they they bought just under twenty thousand, then it crashed back to three, and they were dying. Uh, but now, you know, even sitting at twenty five thousand, thirty five thousand, they're like, "I bought it fifteen. You know, life is good." And you're going to feel that same way if Bitcoin goes all the way up to one hundred and fifty or two hundred fifty thousand, and then crashes back down to a hundred thousand, and people are like, "Oh my God, I can't believe I bought it two hundred thousand, and it's only worth a hundred thousand now." And you're going to be like, "I started stacking in the twenties or the thirties, so." Bitcoin changes you, it changes your perspective, and the longer you're in it, uh, the more it does so. And that's why everybody that I know says, uh, before you really know Bitcoin, you have to have gone through one full cycle, at least one full cycle. And, you know, people like Michael Saylor and Naya Bekele, they haven't even been through one full cycle yet. Remember, they bought after the halving, they bought in the bull run. That's why both MicroStrategy and El Salvador were underwater. You know, their Bitcoin holdings were worth less than they paid for them for a while. They're both they're both in the profit now, uh, but nothing like they're going to be when Bitcoin sets a new all-time high. And I think that, that more than anything else is going to be what contributes to the in in industrial-grade institutional FOMO, the nation-state FOMO, when other countries that have been mocking El Salvador up until this point look and say, holy cow, they bought Bitcoin when it was like $30,000 and now it's $300,000. They 10x their treasury. Wow. Uh, or, you know, when they look at MicroStrategy being just, you know, a, a company that's worth billions of dollars, but it's no Apple, it's no Microsoft, Google, or Facebook. But when MicroStrategy one day is the wealthiest country in the world, exclusively because of its Bitcoin holdings, don't for a minute think companies like JP Morgan, you know, any major Fortune 500 company uh, will not look at that and say, oh, we, need, we need a piece of that. And speaking of needing a piece of that, for those of you who value your wealth in gold and shiny yellow rocks, it is getting more expensive for you to get into Bitcoin. Right now, it will cost you 18.1 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin, more than a pound, one pound, 2.1 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. Whether or not we retrace, it is only a matter of time before we're talking multiple pounds. So you get Bitcoin at the price that you deserve. And if you're Peter Schiff, right now that price is 18.1 ounces of gold and climbing. And speaking of valuing your wealth in things other than Bitcoin. One Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,983 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That's 43 pizzas more than last week. That is a heck of a lot of pizza for just one Bitcoin. And I know I, I, know I got teased for saying that'll feed a family of four once a day for more than four years, um, but it will purchase you one pizza a day for more than four years, whether or not you've got teenagers that'll devour that pizza by themselves. And that is a heck of a lot of food for just one Bitcoin. Looking at the mempool, things are looking a little bit more crowded than last week. Last week, there were 55 blocks worth of transactions pending in Clark Moody's mempool. And right now there's 57 blocks worth of transactions pending. So two blocks more or almost 10 blocks more than, than two weeks ago. Uh, when there were 48 blocks with the transactions pending. So the amount of traffic on the network tends to, looks like it's ticking up a little bit. Along those lines, Clark Moody's fee estimator is recommending if you want to do an on-chain transaction that you need to include a fee of 20 sats per V-byte to guarantee that it's in the next block. That is significantly cheaper than last week when it was going to cost you 35 sats per V-byte. So, um, man, that's, 
that's a significant, I mean, that's 15 sats for V-Byte. That's almost a 50%, 50% cheaper than, than last week, even though traffic has been going up. So I guess uh, we're finally saying goodbye to all that mempool bloat as far as ordinals and inscriptions go. Mempool.space is telling a very similar story. They've traditionally been undercutting, you know, they've been traditionally recommending a slightly cheaper fee than Clark Moody's fee estimator, but this time they're not. Mempool.space is saying a high priority transaction should include 22 sats per V-byte as your fee. That works out to a dollar and nine cents at the current price of Bitcoin, which is a freaking bargain if you're going to send a billion dollars to a country that's overseas, uh, you know, or to a to uh to a friend or or if you're going to wire transfer money anywhere, I mean, good luck wiring, wiring, good luck wiring a hundred dollars for cheaper than a dollar, you know, than a dollar nine. And they are saying that if you can wait a little bit, uh, their low priority recommendation is 14 sats per V-byte or no priority is only four sats per V-byte. And Clark Moody's fee estimator is saying, if you can wait a day, a two sat per V-byte transaction will eventually be mined. So uh, eventually, I think that's going to get less and less important as we use more third, more off-chain, I don't say third-party or third-chain, more off-chain solutions such as Lightning. Um, I haven't purchased or spent anything on-chain. In fact, the only on-chain transactions I've made recently was to send Bitcoin to my Lightning node or to a hardware wallet. And I'm not even really doing a lot of consolidation because I tend to consolidate to begin with. Um, I, I, you know, when I purchase Bitcoin, like today, we're going to buy $20 of the Bitcoin. And I had been waiting until we had a million sats for the Bitcoin before I sent it to cold storage, because at the time that was only like $250 for the Bitcoin, which to me wasn't a lot of money to waste, uh, not to waste, to risk by having on a hot wallet or in an exchange wallet. The way I always look at it is I would never keep more money on an exchange or in a hot wallet than I would carry around in my wallet. And I don't have $200 in my wallet, but it isn't because I don't have $200. It's more like because who carries cash around anymore? Everybody uses their debit card or their Apple Pay. But still, if you were going to take cash on vacation, like for example, if you when I went to uh, Mexico not too long ago, I brought I brought some cash, some spending money because I didn't want to use my debit card because I just didn't want to use my debit card. A lot of debit cards have international fees, exchange fees, and there's some risk of it getting, you know, cloned and running into you know fraud. And and while while banks will work with you on that, it's just a pain in the butt. So. Uh, I usually bring cash when I'm on vacation, and but I would never bring um, more cash than I would than I would than would break my heart if I got you know pickpocketed. It wouldn't ruin my life if I got pickpocketed. And I, along those lines, I would never keep more Bitcoin on an exchange than would make me lose sleep at night if I lost it. Significantly less that than that, in fact. But I do like to have UTXOs that are in the million UTXO million sats or higher range, so that one day if I do need to do an on-chain transaction. I'm not spending 10 or 20% of my UTXO on fees. Uh, I know other people say your UTXO should be over 100,000 or 500,000. And that's a that's a you do you thing, something you're going to have to look at. You're going to have to decide right now, uh, you know, if you could do a 1,000 sat transaction, that means that if you had 100,000 sat uh, UTXO, it'd be, you'd be spending 1% of your fee, 1% of your stack just on mining fees. If it was a 10,000 sat transaction, that would be 10%. So uh, that, you know, that's subject to change as fees go up. As such, I like to have a variety of sizes of UTXOs. And that's a subject for another, for another podcast all the way around. Um, but for now, uh, I had been waiting till I had about a million sats. Now that a million sats is, you know, $350 instead of $250, it's starting to get 
to the point where I'd rather um, rather send it to my hardware wallet when it's closer to 500,000 sats. And that's probably as low as I'm willing to go because I don't want to spend 10% of my UTXO on mining fees if I ever need to use my Bitcoin for anything. Again, that's a do your own research, you do you thing, and then met on a subject for a completely different episode one day. Right now, it's looking like if you need to do an on-chain transaction and it's not super critical that it gets mined into the next block, you can still squeak that in there for uh, around 10 cents, which isn't too shabby. Okay, that statistic that I've always liked to follow that had been my favorite transaction, my favorite statistic, my favorite metric for the entirety of this podcast until Taproot uh, came along was Bitcoin's 24-hour on-chain transaction rate average. And right now that is soaring. We're back up to 5.57 transactions per second on average. Last week we were at 5.5 transactions per second. But before that, we dropped all the way down to 3.26 transactions per second. As you know from listening, in the past, prior to Taproot, prior to ordinals and inscriptions, anytime we saw more than 3.14 transactions per second, pi on chain, uh, that was indicative that we were going up in value. It, it's just, it's not any kind of technical analysis that, that means anything other than the fact that during the two years we've been doing this podcast, every time we'd seen that, that, that was the case. Uh, and uh, it still looks like that's the case with 5.57 transactions per second. Obviously, Bitcoin's price has been pumping. So um, no rhyme or reason. That's just a t- statistic that that stuck out, that caught my eye, something that um, that I'd like to follow. And speaking of on-chain, uh, not since the last episode. We didn't talk about this yesterday, but just prior to that, the difficulty that it took that it takes to mine a block if you're a Bitcoin miner, uh, that difficulty went up by 2.3%. As you know, uh, Bitcoin mining adjusts, uh, the Bitcoin protocol adjusts the difficulty, the difficulty it takes to find, uh, to mine a block, to find the next block. Every 2016 blocks with the goal of having blocks come in at an average of once every 10 minutes. If blocks are coming in over that 2016 block period faster than 10 minutes on average, then uh, the mining difficulty is increased to make it to, to slow it down. If it's coming in too slow, then the mining difficulty is decreased, so the blocks are coming a little bit faster. But that works out to an adjustment about every two weeks. But since it's based on blocks and not on TikTok seconds, as you can imagine, if things are coming in faster, it's the blocks are coming in faster, then it's less than two weeks. If it's coming in slower, then it's a little longer than two weeks. And that is why you know, we don't know exactly when the halving is going to occur because if blocks continue to come in faster than 10 minutes, then it'll come in sooner than, than anticipated. If they're coming in slower, then it, it might be a little bit longer. Right now, we're 1,583 blocks away from the next difficulty adjustment. That's about 11 days from now. It looks like that'll be on November 12th. And depending on where you get your data, that's going to be another increase. And since we're so far away, these numbers are all over the place. It looks like it's going to be an increase of anywhere of just 0.6% all the way up to as much as 6.3%. And uh, I guess we won't know until we get a lot closer, but that is because right now, you know, we're only, we're only less than 500 blocks into this difficulty epic, but blocks are screaming in at an average of nine minutes and 22 seconds a block, even faster than last, uh, than last Wednesday when they were coming in at nine minutes and 54 seconds. So uh, new hash rate is obviously getting added. That is to be expected. You know, 
Bitmain, the largest manufacturer of ASIC miners, has announced their, I believe it was their S22, that's going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 terahashes, which is a lot. If you don't know anything about mining, the current best miners were mining at about 100 terahashes, 110, somewhere in that vicinity. Some a little more, but in general, in the 100 terahash, um, hashes, terahashes per second range. And so the new ones are almost double that. And as they start coming on, that means that, you know, network hash rate power is going to go through the roof and therefore difficulty is going to have to increase to keep those blocks coming in at 10 minutes. Uh, and, you know, this is nothing new. Before the S19 came along, you know, the Antminer S9 was state-of-the-art, and that was only averaging between 10 and 14 terahashes, depending on which model of S9 you had. So it was almost a 10x improvement when the S19 or S21 came along. And, of course, we've seen hash rate, hash, we've seen difficulty go through the roof to correspond with that hash rate. So just like if you zoom out, Bitcoin's price has been steadily up and to the right, even more so Bitcoin's difficulty and hash power has been up and to the right. Which is one of those reasons that Bitcoin is more secure, because even, even five years ago, it would have been darn near impossible to wrestle up enough computing power to make a serious 51% attack on Bitcoin. And now, uh, with the amount of hash power we have, it, it's, 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 people say, well, what about quantum computing? Who knows where we'll be in the future and, and what Bitcoin may or may not have to do to, to uh, account for that. But as it stands, Bitcoin is hands down the most powerful computing network on the planet. And, uh, and it's only getting more secure every time more hash rate is added. All right, before we go any further, I want to thank those of you who are listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain. Uh, as you know, listening on podcasting 2.0 allows you to support your favorite podcasts and help them stay in business without selling their soul to sponsors or advertisers. And you can do so by streaming sats while you listen on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. Or by sending a boost, which is a shout out where you send a lightning transaction with uh, basically a tip, a boost, and, and a message. And we have one boost to read today, and that is from Leggy, who boosted our makeup episode yesterday. And he sent 3,000 sats, and he's given us a little knowledge here, because yesterday was Halloween, and I spoke about Halloween and what countries, you know, how Halloween celebrated in more than just the United States. And it used to be pretty much a U.S.-centric holiday. There was Dio de los Muertos in Latin American countries and, and other similar celebrations around the world. Uh, but now Halloween is becoming more ubiquitous. And Leggy says on his boost, here in mostly Catholic Germany, today is national holiday Allerheiligen, where we remember the lost people. Halloween just recently started to become a big thing here, or to become a thing here. When I was young, I only knew it from movies. But yesterday evening in Luxembourg, when I returned late from work, there were groups of people in every village. I guess it spread faster because they're, because of the Irish people who work at the banks and the closer ties to the states in the past decades. And I have friends and family in Germany, and, and I remember that they had, you know, that they didn't celebrate. Last I knew, they didn't celebrate Halloween over there at all. But, you know, Halloween has become more of just like a fun holiday. You know, in certain in certain countries, it, it was a, more of a religious holiday, uh, and in and and in other religions, it's certainly not a religious holiday. It's it's frowned on almost as demonic or satanic, but it's become kind of Disneyized. You know, it's 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 more of a fun, cutesy cutesy thing. Except for in countries where it's taken seriously, as the Day of the Dead, for example. Uh, for example, in Mexico and Latin America, according to History.com, 
The Day of the Dead, El Dia de los Muertos, is a Mexican holiday where families welcome back the souls of their deceased relatives for a brief reunion that includes food, drink, and celebration. A blend of Mesoamerican ritual, European religion, and Spanish culture, the holiday is celebrated each year from October 31st to November 2nd. While October 31st is Halloween, November 1st through 2nd is All Souls Day, or the Day of the Dead. According to tradition, the gates of heaven are opened at midnight on October 31st, and the spirits of children can rejoin their families for 24 hours. The spirit of adults can do the same on November 2nd. So that sounds a little bit similar to Aller Heiligen that, that Leggy is describing, where uh, you say you're remembering lost people, uh, so they're celebrating their, their, their deceased ancestors in Dia de los Muertos. Even in the United States, Halloween was controversial. I remember my mom talking about um, and I don't remember whether it was Catholic versus Protestant divide, which one celebrated and which one didn't forgive me for being fuzzy on that. But the one religion that didn't celebrate it referred to it as beggars night. And, you know, and, 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 uh, and then there was, uh, and then of course there was like the all souls day and there's, there's other ties that, that led into the, uh, into the melting pot of holidays that has become Halloween. Uh, and since then it's, it's spread, you know, all over the world. So Thank you for the knowledge, Leggy. Thank you for the boost. Thank you for being a longtime supporter. It's really cool to know about Aller Heiligen and the fact that Halloween has spread to Germany and Luxembourg because I haven't been to Germany in decades. Uh, I'm sure Germany is a completely different place than the last time I saw it. In fact, I know it's a completely different place than the last time I saw it. Uh, my wife has been there more recently than I have, but not by much, by like four or five years more recently than I do. And they didn't celebrate uh, Halloween in Germany uh, when, when she was there either. So. I guess it's new, but it's interesting to see. And thank you for letting us know. If you are listening out there and you would like to let us know whether Halloween is celebrated in the country you're listening from or whether you celebrate Dia de los Muertos or something different or nothing at all, reach out and let me know. I'm not asking for a boost here. You can do so just by DMing me on Twitter. On Twitter, I am at BTC Bulletin Pod. Or send me an email. My email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. That's bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com because besides just sharing knowledge with you guys and with with uh, getting together to stack sats together once every week i'm learning as much from doing this podcast as as hopefully you guys are so that's really cool so thanks again for the knowledge leggy and thank you for anyone listening out there who has more to contribute on the subject uh, i'd be really interested in knowing and speaking of where you're listening from the geographic distribution of listeners has completely ossified it hasn't changed in months um, but you're everywhere. I've got listeners almost in every country of the world, but the top 10 remain as follows. Number one is the United States, where over half of you are listening. So hello, and thank you to all of those of you listening in the United States, whether or not you celebrate Halloween or Beggar's Night or, or just watching the World Series. If you're an Arizona Diamondbacks game, that was a little more frustrating. If you're a Texas Rangers fan, then, then you're celebrating because they're just one game away now from clinching the World Series. If you don't care about baseball or Halloween, then none of that matters to you. Number two remains Argentina. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Argentina. Number three remains Germany. So danke schön, mein friends in Deutschland. Number four, right behind Germany, is Luxembourg. So danke schön, mein friends in Luxembourg. Morian, as they say in Luxembourgish. So thank you, Leggy. You're part of both of those stats. Uh, so that's really cool. Number five remains Canada. So thank you to our friends in the probably frigid north now, because along with that wind, we've gotten a lot cooler weather. It's only 68 degrees here right now in Florida. 
that might seem really warm to you, but it was 85 yesterday. So and we've had quite the cool off with this wind. And I know some of you out there were posting pictures of snow in Denver just the other day. I think they got seven or eight inches of snow in the Rocky Mountains. Well, in Denver and probably way more than that in the mountains. Uh, brr, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be right here on the beach in Florida where we will not see snow. It is snowed. And when I say snow, we've had flurries twice since I've lived here in, in Cocoa Beach. And the first time was like in 2009. And both of these times were basically, a, you know, they weren't really snowstorms. It rained all day. But, you know, the cold front was pushing the rain across Florida down from the north. And on the other side of the cold front, of course, is frigid cold air warmer moist air on the front where they collide to get rainstorms but for the last two or three minutes before the cold front pushed through where that ice cold air was mixing with the front at the frontal boundary uh, we got snow flurries it went from rain to, to snow nothing that stuck but it was exciting everybody ran outside and took pictures and that happened again two years ago as well so twice i've seen snow in the sky here in cocoa beach florida but but not on the ground without leaving and driving for a long long way there are places in northern florida you know, along the Georgia-Florida border where it sometimes it snows and they, and they get a little bit of dusting of snow on the ground. Uh, but of course, it goes back to being Florida shortly thereafter. Here in the peninsula of Florida, or especially in Cocoa Beach, where we're on a barrier island, we've got ocean on one side and, you know, eight miles of lagoon and, and Merritt Island between us and the mainland. Even when you get a cold front coming through, even if that cold front pushes it down into the 40s, you know, um, the, the ocean is still 75 degrees and the lagoon is still 70 or 80 degrees. And so as soon as that cold front pass, passes through, the warm air moves in behind it. So what's funny is on a night like tonight, where it's like 60 degrees, 68 degrees right now, going down to like 65 degrees, it's possible our high will be in the middle of the night because as soon as the front passes through, it starts warming back up when the, when the warm air moves in off the ocean. So we can have a day where it gets you know, high of like 60, a low in the 50s, and then in the middle of the night, all of a sudden we warm up into the 60s or 70s from that hot moist air coming back in off the ocean and giving us a big warm air hug. But I'm getting really distracted. Where was I? We were at number five was Canada. Number six remains Spain. So muchas gracias amigos in Spain. Number seven remains Colombia. So hola, muchas gracias amigos. Number eight remains Sweden, where I still don't know how to say thank you or hello in Swedish, but hello and thank you to those of you listening in Sweden. Number nine remains Singapore. Nobody's reached out to me from Singapore either. I know you're listening and I see the stats. Uh, maybe you don't have Twitter, but uh, if, you, if you do, send me a DM at BTC Bulletin Pod and let me know the proper greeting from either Sweden or Singapore. But thank you to those of you listening in both Sweden and Singapore. Number 10 remains Venezuela. So once again, hola, muchas gracias, amigos, in Venezuela. Thank you to everybody, regardless of where you're listening. Even if you're not in the top 10, reach out and say hello. Let me know what the proper greeting in the country where you're listening is from on Twitter or by email at btcbulletinpod or bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Uh, so I know maybe your country will make it into the top 10. And then when it does, I'll know how to say hello properly. On to the news. Of course, yesterday was Bitcoin White Paper Day. That marked the 15th anniversary of Satoshi Nakamoto releasing the white paper for Bitcoin onto the world. Of course, some people consider Bitcoin's official birthday when the Genesis block was mined. Uh, which was approximately January 3rd of 2009. And of course, you know, it contained the headline from the Times of London uh, to timestamp it talking about banks on the banks on the brink, uh, you know, on the brink of a second, on the on the brink of a second bank for bailouts. 
But regardless of whether you consider the Genesis Block Day or the White Pepper Day to be Bitcoin's official anniversary, we have endured almost or at least 15 years of nonstop attack and FUD. Whether it's physical attack with Bitcoin being the biggest honeypot in the world, you know, if it were hackable, there, you, there's got to be people out there, individuals, professionals, state-sponsored hackers trying to attack Bitcoin. The governments around the world would love to hack Bitcoin just so they could make it go away. You know, a hacker would love to be able to hack Bitcoin so they could steal a fortune. None of that has happened. 15 years of being the biggest honeypot or becoming the biggest honeypot in the world, Bitcoin has survived that. Whether it be regular, regulatory attempts to crack down or make Bitcoin go away by making it more difficult to use, or just plain FUD trying to scare people out of using Bitcoin. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and Bitcoin has been attacked now for 15 years. And every day that, that, that Bitcoin goes TikTok next block, the stronger it gets. Speaking of the powers that be, the Federal Reserve met today and held interest rates exactly where they have. Whether or not you consider this the pause or whether you think that rates are going to get uh, raised again next month or whether or you think that we're getting ready to have a Fed pivot, interest rates remain the highest they've been since 2001. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not really that high historically. Uh, you know, I had a house with a 7% mortgage on it and I... You know, I've seen interest rates. All I remember when I was a kid, you could get ten percent on your savings account interest uh, just from putting money in your in your in your savings account. So those days are long gone. And five percent, of course, you can't get anywhere near that on a savings account. This is really only a big deal because of how much debt has been accumulated because people have in adjustable rate mortgages or because in real estate prices have gone through the roof and now people can't afford to they can't afford to move because no one's going to be able to afford to buy their house unless they sell it at a loss. Or because the government has issued so much debt and they have to pay interest on that debt. And that piper is coming due sooner, just like the, the having TikTok next block, you know, the, the day when those debts roll over and have to be refinanced at higher rates is coming due. Treasuries that are, in, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are new treasury bonds that the government sells are, you know, sold at a higher interest coupon. Uh, that's why that's a big deal. Um, but for those of you who are debt-free or trying to be debt-free, striving to be debt-free, remember Albert Einstein said it best when he said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Well, if you're debt-free, if you're the one holding the money, then the government is going to be paying it and you're going to be earning it. And that is the right side of the equation to be on, in my humble opinion. The United States, speaking of which, their current debt-to-GDP ratio, according to the St. Louis Fed website, is currently only 119% only. I say only, but that is because it peaked at 132% in the second quarter of 2020. And as you know, economists such as Lynn Alden have repeatedly pointed out that in the last 500 years, basically for the entirety of the existence of fiat as we know it, every country who has ever exceeded 130% debt-to-GDP has eventually defaulted all except for one, that country being Japan. And of course, they have been stuck in 1970s style stagflation for what, since the 1980s, lost generations. Whether or not they eventually default and bring that statistic up to 100% remains to be seen. But even if they don't, you're going you to want your country turning into Japan. Also in the news, the SBF FTX trial is all but wrapped up, and it looks like it's going to be in the hands of the jury as soon as tomorrow. Well, hopefully they'll send that little bastard to jail for the rest of his life. I, I guess I digress there. SBF's laughingly defense strategy was to basically say, whoops, 
Uh, he got on the stand, which is a, usually a risky endeavor. Most suspects in a criminal trial never testify, and that's for a couple of reasons. A, because you don't have to in the United States. You have the right to remain silent. It is the state's responsibility to prove that you broke the law, not your responsibility to prove you're innocent. So anytime you get on the stand, usually all you can do is make yourself look like an idiot. And he sure as heck did, basically arguing that he was just a sloppy businessman and he had no idea that they were breaking the law. He has no memory of all these texts and conversations where they were talking about breaking the law. And basically the, 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 the defense wrapped it up in their closing statement as saying that he was just a sloppy businessman. You know, he's just a kid. You know, he had all this money. He, he maybe he got he, he was in charge of this big company at a young age. He was in way over his head. And then he got sucker punched by a bank run. All righty then. Well, I guess we'll see if the jury is stupid enough to fall for it, because the only reason they got sucker punched by the bank run is because he stole all their money. He used it to bribe politicians. He used it to buy hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate. He gave it to his friends. He gave it to his family. He spent it on food that he had flown in from Florida on private jets. You know, instead of ordering a pizza, they ordered takeout, but they ordered from takeout in a different freaking country and had it come over on a G4. But, you know, I'm, I'm not calling this a done deal because I have seen travesties happen in a courtroom. They say if you end up facing criminal charges, you end up facing a jury trial in a courtroom, that your fate is in the hands of the 12 people, dumb, the 12 dumbest people, the 12 people who are dumb enough not to be able to get out of jury duty. Uh, and I have a little bit of experience in this, not because I've ever been arrested in, in, in a trial and I'm not an attorney, but let's just say I have experienced the legal system up close and personal for years. I have a lot of experience in this environment and Juries are stupid. And it's not necessarily they're stupid people on the jury, but they get into jury think. They, they, over, they tend to overthink stuff instead of just saying, here are the facts, this guy's guilty, the end. I have a dear, cherished family member who served on a um, child molestation trial. The guy was basically stat committing statutory rape on 13 and 14-year-old girls. It's a no-brainer, right? It's against the law in almost every country to have sex with a 13-year-old girl, almost every state. I don't want to overstep my bounds there. In the United States, if you're 35 years old, you can't have sex with a child. It's against the law, period. In this case, they argued, well, she told him he was 18. And when the jury got in the jury room and they deliberated, they thought, well, Oh, and this is years later, by the way. So now instead of being a 13-year-old girl, she's like a 16-year-old girl. And sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference between a 16-year-old and 18-year-old or an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old. I get it. So they're looking at this 18-year-old or the 16-year-old girl now, and they're saying, well, she said she was 18, and maybe it's possible. And there you have reasonable doubt, and boom, not guilty. So I've seen juries do really stupid things, and we're not even going to get into you know the high-profile trials that we've had that have been televised here in the United States where juries have done stupid, ludicrous things. So I guess we'll find out. But you know, I get and and if SBF does get found not guilty, I, I it's kind of weird that he's being tried in the United States anyway because almost nobody in the United States got scammed by by SBF other than you know investors like Tom Brady, uh, because the average customer using FTX wasn't in the United States. So I'd say if he gets found not guilty that there's going to be riots and pitchforks and he's not going to be safe wherever he goes, but probably not in the United States because I don't know a single person who lost money 
on on FTX. And if you're a smart Bitcoiner, if you're following best Bitcoin practices, wow, sorry, just kick the microphone. If you're a smart Bitcoiner, if you follow Bitcoin best practices, it doesn't matter what happens to your exchange because you don't have Bitcoin on the exchange. In this case, you know, we might have two or three hundred dollars of the Bitcoin on Cash App. And so if they rug you, you lose two or three hundred dollars. But we're not talking losing your life savings like happened on Mount Gox or or Quadriga in Canada or FTX, allegedly to people from other countries. You know, so it should not really matter, even if you, you know, it matter. You don't have, you never want to do business with a scammer. But if an FTX does rug you, if your Bitcoin is not on the exchange, if it's in a cold wallet, a hardware wallet in your cold storage, uh, then it doesn't really matter. So not too many people in the United States were using FTX International. And even those who were hopefully didn't have too much Bitcoin on FTX. If you had an S coin on FTX or you invested in FTX, then shame on you for being that stupid for dealing in S-Kinds or dealing with Sam Bankman-Fried investing in his company. On to the United States and the economy. According to the current administration, we're currently experiencing the best economy in 50 years. According to the idiots at the New York Times, inflation was transitory and everything is rosy. But besides completely rewriting the definition of recession, as you remember a year or so ago, we would have officially been in recession because a recession was always defined as two consecutive quarters of declining GDP, and we had that. But they said, whoa, that doesn't count because jobs jobs growth is so great. The, you know, the economy is robust as far as employment numbers go, so therefore we're not in a recession. As you know, m- many people, including myself, have repeatedly pointing out that jobs numbers are BS. That is, Mark Twain said there are three types of lies, lies, damn lies, and statistics, and government statistics are on a fourth plane of BS, even beyond the average statistic. But that aside, despite the fact that most of these jobs are, I'm going to get into it, okay, because this is a pet peeve of mine. If you worked at Microsoft making $200,000 a year and you got laid off and you had to get a job at Walmart as a greeter and a job as a bartender, your local bartender, to just try and make ends meet, to the government, that looks like we created a job because one job was lost, but we got two new jobs, right? So we had positive employment. Obviously, you know that the country has gone downhill, that your, 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 your personal financial situation is dramatically worse, but the government spins it as, look, economic growth. Look, we're not in a recession. And along these lines, one statistic that points to your resiliency, people's resiliency, people's creativity, the ability of people to thrive and survive, even in the worst situations, was something that came out of the jobs report. And that is that people have created jobs for themselves online. Adam Meister at Tech Vault on Twitter shared a post. He shared an article from MSN with his, he he added, golden age of decentralization, exclamation. And the article goes on to say that YouTube estimated that roughly 390,000 full-time jobs last year were supported by its creator's work. Four times the number of people employed by GM, USA's biggest automaker. A fragmentation of public discourse into thousands of niches. So the government's pointing at all these new revenue, all these new jobs, and it's not that the the economy is booming, the economy is rosy, and and companies are hiring like gangbuster. To the contrary, companies have been laying people off and or not hiring. You have gone out there and created jobs doing things like I'm doing right now. This is not a monetized podcast. I don't have any sponsors, etc., It certainly doesn't count as a job, but there are people out there doing podcasts that are making money through sponsorship or or whatever, 
or YouTube channels that are raking it in, or even Twitter now, where X Twitter is paying its you know its 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 biggest influencers. They're sharing ad revenue. Uh, I know there's a law enforcement channel donut operator that was I forget what he said, but he was he and he was joking that it wasn't very much money. He said you know one thousand five hundred dollars or whatever he got was nothing for five and a half million impressions. And he's right, you know, that's just pittance, but it's money he didn't have before. And for a lot of people, $1,500 is a lot of money. And even if you, it, even if it isn't a lot of money for you, uh, $1,500 would, you know, that would buy you 6,000, uh, 60,000 sats, uh, not 6,000 sats, 600,000 sats. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to do on the fly math here. It would buy you a boatload of Bitcoin that you didn't already have. So, um, so that's really cool. And it's great to see that there's a lot of people out there doing whatever it takes to survive. I also think it's really cool because, you know, the, the traditional nine to five, the uh, gopher farm job where you, you commute an hour to work and you sit in an office cubicle for eight hours and then you drive home and drink yourself to bed. Uh, that's not, that's not compatible. That's not simpatico with human nature. It's not something that even existed 200 years ago. Around the time of the founding of the Federal Reserve was also around the time when we started seeing a push to standardize public education, government education, not just government indoctrination to be a good little follower and a good little Democrat or a good little socialist, but a good little worker. Horace Mann was infamous for bringing the current public schooling system to the United States. He went over and he brought it home from Germany or Prussia, basically. And the goal over there was to churn out soldiers and good, obedient little citizens. But his goal and the goal of the richest people at the time, the people that helped pump money into these foundations and set up libraries and universities around the world, was basically to create workers to work in their factories. They wanted you to come off of the farms, off of the ranches, and move into the big cities in New York, Chicago, and then work in an office. And that has succeeded in spades. And largely, that's in part, uh, part and parcel to our public school system, which told people that your lot in life should be to go to college and go work in a gopher farm. And that has been changing. Part of the golden age of decentralization, as Adam Meister refers to it, is people are learning how to work from home and not just get on their laptop and log in because their offices were closed because of the coof, but because they're creating their own businesses. They're doing their own thing. Folks, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's knitting, whether it's gardening, whether it's cars, whether it's whatever, if there's something that you are interested in, chances are thousands of other people are interested in it too. And we're seeing that by the fact that 390,000 people now have full-time jobs just doing what they love online. And that's really cool. So um, thank you for helping contribute to that because I'm sure I'm not the only person you listen to. It's because of people like you, the 390,000 Americans are able to have full-time jobs just talking about what they love online. Uh, so that's really cool. And that was before uh, Podcasting 2.0 came along, where you could support your favorite podcast directly. That was just relying on YouTube or Google's um, or, or Twitter's monetiza monetization policy and, and begging for your scraps, your, your crumbs of the money they're raking in from advertisers by playing commercials over your content. So th that is really cool. Speaking of Twitter, we already talked about Plan B once, but a couple hours ago, he also tweeted about uh, whether or not we're in a bull market, tweeting, Bitcoin is beyond the point of no return, comma, a bull market, parentheses green to match, to match up with this chart, is inevitable in my opinion. The only questions are, when does FOMO start, how high will this bull go, and how long will it last? 
There are a lot of different definitions for when we're in a bull market. Adam Meister, who I referenced multiple times, including just a second ago, used to say that his official definition of a bull market is when you double the cycle low. And at that point in time, the cycle low was around 16,000. Depending on where you look, it was the upper 15,000s. But we're going to round it to 16,000, which meant 32,000 when we hit that was the end of the bull market, at the end of the bear market, the beginning of the bull market. And I don't necessarily ascribe to that because if you look back to 2019, we went from like 3,000 to 10,000 and then dumped back down to 3,000. So we most certainly weren't in a bull market. It was just a pump. And we kind of did that already once because we went up to almost 32,000 previously. And uh, even Adam Meister said, well, I guess by my definition, this is the, the, the bull market, the bear market's over. And then we crashed back down to 23 or 24,000. So and then we were there sideways until just recently where we, in the last month, have pumped as high as 35 again. So maybe this is the bull market, maybe not. None of that matters. We will officially start a bull market after the next halving. If we haven't already, it has happened every four years, every 210,000 blocks. But plan B is correct. The only questions are, when does the FOMO start? Because that's what really drives the panic buying. That's what drives the euphoria. That's what drives the crazy blow off top. You know, we would, the Bitcoin would be less volatile if it weren't that people were so exuberant. So the FOMO at some point in time will start, whether that's new, new individuals getting into Bitcoin and their FOMO, you know, the shine kid or the Uber driver telling you, hey, you need to get on Bitcoin or whatever crypto they're trying to, you know, they, they've got suckered into. But it's also going to be institutional and nation state FOMO, in my opinion, because, man, when we hit 60,000 dollar Bitcoin again, when, when we're only closing in on the old all-time high, not even breaking it, that means El Salvador will have doubled their investment. 100% return is nothing to laugh at. There are very, the only time you've ever gotten 100% return on any investment is if you got lucky. I know people say Bitcoiners got lucky, and I'm not talking about Bitcoin, but I'm talking about the traditional market. You got lucky as in you bet on a startup company, a unicorn that took off, if you were an early investor in Apple, an early investor in Amazon, an early investor in, 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 a, in a company that nobody else knew about, and, and, and you just you got lucky and you won 100 to 200 extra money or whatever. In general, that's not how it works with most investments. People buy a company, a bond, a fund, and they're lucky to get a 5% or a 10% return annually. 100% for traditional investments for the uh, traditional financial industry is just insane. And when they see that, uh, they're gonna, they're gonna have corporate FOMO when company countries see El Salvador vindicated. I think they're, there's gonna be nation state FOMO. I think the IMF FUD and the World Bank FUD and the World Economic Forum FUD saying you need to stay away from Bitcoin. Look what it did. It's gonna destroy El Salvador. It'll destroy you too. Will be impossible to sell when other countries just have to look at El Salvador, just look at the numbers, just look at the news, just look at the, the hand in front of their face. It's as plain as day and, and see the benefit that they missed out on. Uh, and that FOMO is going to kick in. And that's what's going to determine how high the bull, the, the bull market will go. So uh, I have no idea. I don't have a crystal ball. I, even if we are looking at diminishing returns that a lot of people say each, you know, each bull market, the return has been a little less. Uh, even if we're looking at that. So, so let's say we only triple our previous all-time high, which was you know about sixty-nine thousand dollars, depending on what exchange you're getting your, your data from. So you know, round that up to seventy just to make the math easier and say triple that would be two hundred and ten thousand dollars. So 
vacuum double would be 140,000. So anywhere between 150 and $250,000 would not be, uh, it wouldn't be completely unheard of. I mean, it's completely possible, completely fathomable. I mean, a million dollars is fathomable. When I first heard about Bitcoin, $1,000 seemed like a lot of money. And people that were talking about Bitcoin going to the moon one day weren't even talking about 20. When Bitcoin hit 20, that was just unbelievable. And even when Bitcoin hit 20 and fell back to three, uh, for it to hit 69,000 one day seemed, seemed uh, you know, that was triple. So more than triple. So um, people would say, well, Bitcoin's never going to hit 100,000 and never going to hit a million. Well, hitting 100,000 is less than double. A million right now, let's, you know, let's, 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 let's round the price of Bitcoin down to 33,333 to make it simple. So 3x would be 100,000. So a million would be 30x, which would be a lot. But not unheard of. Bitcoin is 30x before. And I don't expect to see a million dollar Bitcoin this cycle. But in two cycles, you know, let's say it only 3x's. Bitcoin only hits 100,000. Let's say it, let's say it 6x's, hits 200,000. Then it only needs to 5x next time, you know, to hit a million. So uh, the sky's the limit. And, and who knows? Uh, it doesn't matter, though, because what does matter is that Bitcoin is freedom money. And as long as you have a stack of Satoshis that is enough for your family to survive a disaster or, or a, a 1984-style Orwellian dictatorship where they try and say you can't, what you can and cannot spend your money on, what you, where you can and cannot travel using their CBDC currency or whatever. As long as you have your FU money, as long as you have enough Satoshis, uh, you don't need to get rich. You just need to be safe. And so Bitcoin isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a not-go-broke poorly scheme and it's a not become a slave to a CBDC scheme. Uh, and so along those lines, while Bitcoin price remains low, I want to stack as many sats as I can. And before I blabber on any longer and the price of Bitcoin goes up anymore, let's get to it and do that stack because today is DCA Wednesday after all. And if you are just joining us for the first time, well, if you're not, most likely you've probably heard me say this 130 something times, well, 120 times, I guess. You're going to hear it again because hopefully there's new plebs joining and hopefully you're helping spread this podcast to help Orange Pill your friends, Orange Pill new plebs. But DCA, the DCA and DCA Wednesday is short for dollar cost averaging. And dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 119th stack. We started stacking all the way back on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021, and so far we've stacked 118 times, converting 2,360 filthy U.S. dollars, including $53.10 into fees to Cash App, into a stack of 8,187,615 sets. So I'm going to back up a bit. DCA is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions. That's the important part. We chose $20, and this is a you-do-you thing. $20 is not a whole lot of money to a lot of people in the United States and Europe, but it is a lot of money to other people. And uh, some people, it's uh, to some people, $20 is an impossible number. So this is a you-do-you thing. But what's important is it's a number that you can do regularly because the second part is at regular intervals, regardless of price. And we chose our regular interval to be weekly, weekly on Wednesdays. Wednesday and DCA has a nice rhyme to it. So that's why we chose it. The important thing is consistency. 
And again, you do you, do your own research. Obviously, this is not financial advice, but if you're DCAing, if you've been following us and stacking every week, uh, then it's nice and easy. But most people tend to DCA when they get paid. So if you work a normal nine to five and you get paid every two weeks, then maybe you DC, DCA biweekly, once every two weeks. If you work at gig economy and you get paid by the job, then you don't know when you're going to get paid or how much, then maybe you set aside a certain amount and pick an interval that's convenient for you. The important thing is that you're consistent and consistency is paid off because as I've mentioned repeatedly, the first time we stacked on July 28th, 2021, Bitcoin was at a price of $39,716. So had we stacked that day, we would have had more than two and a half million fewer sats and we would still be underwater on price. Instead, we have more than 8 million sats and our average purchase price is been $28,824.02 with Bitcoin worth more than $35,000. That means we've made seven or we've stacked it at a price that's $7,000 cheaper. So, um, so we're in the green and that's fantastic. Today, we're going to add to that stack. And as usual, I'm going to do so using the cash app. I like cash app. I do. So I like it because it's a super convenient app. They do charge about a two and a quarter percent fee. Uh, and so there are other services that, that are cheaper, you know, that don't charge the fee. But for small amounts, that works out to 45 cents in our case. And Cash App is going to let us transfer our Bitcoin to our hardware wallet without a mining fee. So the last time I purchased from a different app that included a mining fee, it, it cost me like a $2.50 mining fee. So I paid $2.50, even though I didn't pay a fee to purchase the Bitcoin. In this case, I would have to stack 10 times, I'm sorry, stack five times uh, for the fee that Cash App is going to charge me to make up for that mining fee. So it's a wash. It's basically a break even. But you do you. Cash App's not even necessarily available where you're at. If you're in the United States or someplace that Cash App is available and you don't already use them, there is a referral code in the show notes. There are referral codes for a couple of services, absolutely none of which are sponsors. Any user gets their own customer referral code. At of, as the time of this recording, if you click on that referral code, sign up for Cash App and use it, you'll get $5 free for doing so. And the podcast will get $5 as well. So you'll get paid to basically tip the podcast and I will immediately be converting that five bucks into Bitcoin. Uh, there are other services such as Fold and Strike where that I use that have referral codes as well. And they each have offerings where uh, you'll get something that you wouldn't normally get if you sign up using my referral code. So scroll through the notes. If you're not using any of those services, please consider if you do sign up, signing up using a referral code. While I've been yammering, I've already opened the Cash App. I've already added $20 to the account. They let me do that instantly because I have my debit card linked to my Cash App account, so I don't have to keep any money on it. That's another reason I love Cash App, not to keep tooting their horn, but they're going to let me spend this money immediately, and they're going to let me transfer it to my hardware wallet immediately, things that other services will not necessarily let you do. So I'm tapping Bitcoin. Hey, $20 is an option this time. Sometimes I have to manually enter it. This time, $20 is an option. Clicking confirm. And boom, just like that, we've stacked another 55,196 sats. And it's hard to say that with a, with a, happy, with a happy inflection of in my voice because two weeks ago, we stacked 68,000 sats. And the week before that, we stacked 73,000 sats. And a month ago, we stacked 75,000 sats. So that number's going down, that number's going down, plebs. As Bitcoin gets more expensive, we're going to get fewer and fewer sats. But our stack is going to go up. 
And we're going to keep adding that stack every Wednesday until someone, you know, refuses to sell sats and we, and we just can't stack anymore. So regardless of the price of Bitcoin, it's a great, you know, it's, 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 it work. I'm going to keep stacking. I need more sats. I'm never going to have enough sats. Regardless of what your SAT goal is, you seem to set a SAT goal. And if you make it, if you're fortunate enough to make your SAT goal, uh, you, you, you set a new goal because um, because you start thinking about, you know, Bitcoin changes. You start thinking about the whole generational wealth thing and wanting to have something to pass along to your family, not just wanting to have, you know, money to buy a house or a car or whatever, you know, people think of when they think with their fiat mindset. That stack is going to bring our stack total up now to 8.2 million sats, 8 million. 242,811 sats and it did raise our average cost basis by almost $50 because we bought at a more expensive price that average cost basis is going up that's kind of a bummer but really our average cost basis only applies if you ever sell or convert your bitcoin in a country that requires you to pay capital gains tax and they need to know what your average purchase price is so they can tell you how much how much profit you made that you then owe the government a portion of uh, in this case, that's $28,873.65, which is not too shabby, or plus $49.63. Uh, and as long as Bitcoin doesn't duck back down below $30,000, we are going to be in the green. And when Bitcoin hits $60,000, we are going to be almost double. And when Bitcoin hits $100,000, we are going to be almost triple, more than triple. So, so life is good. All right. That is about all I wanted to say. You know, it was sometimes it's hard to come up with new things to say when we just met yesterday. And but Bitcoin is fast moving, and as we get closer to the having, as we get back into the bull run and things get more exciting, uh, there just seems to be more and more to talk about during the during the Bitcoin winter, during the this long drawn out bear markets. You know, sometimes it gets boring in Bitcoin land, and so many of the podcasts out there just get so repetitive. Uh, it you know, it's just the same. Some of the podcasts I listened to in the in the last couple of weeks, it's all been the exact same people. They've been interviewing people that have a company in the Bitcoin space that have a product you, they want you to buy, a service they want you to use. And it's cool. I want to find out about that, but not on all five of my favorite podcasts. Hopefully that's getting ready to change because, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to find things to talk about when we're in the crab market because crab markets are boring. Nobody's putting out fun memes. Boy, if you remember the last couple bull runs and and Leggy mentioned this in, the, in their in their boost to the previous episode where he commented on that Bitcoin, please go to moon song. We haven't had any great Bitcoin songs. I and mean, we've had a few Bitcoin remixes with the crypto couple, I guess. But during the last bull market, man, there was there was Bitcoin Baron and Bitcoin Billionaire and uh, love you, love you, love you like a Bitcoin. And just all kind of, uh, when moon, all kinds of great songs, all kinds of great memes that come out and plebs, it's going to get exciting. I think we're going to see that again, and we're going to see that again really soon because six months is not that long of a time. But in the meantime, we will see you when this next Wednesday and every Wednesday for our DCA Wednesday series, uh, as long as someone's willing to sell us sats. Until that time, though, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>